Hello and welcome to jasonnewland.com My name is Jason Newland This is Let Me Bore You to Sleep To Sleep Please only listen to this recording or any of my recordings when you can safely close your eyes. It's the only time to listen. And I say that because I know there's probably some people listen when they've got their eyes open. But the reason I say only when you can close your eyes or when it's safe for you to close your eyes is because safety is important. (laughs) I can't be bothered to say anymore. Um, You just got got to be safe. So over the years I've (laughs) I've tried to say things like, oh, if you're driving your car or if you're you know digging a well or if you're you know on a space shuttle or you know whatever if you're a pilot on Concord even though Concord hasn't been around for about 15 years just perhaps you shouldn't be listening to a sleep recording maybe but ultimately I've got no control over what anyone does however I know that my audience are very intelligent I'm very lucky I'm very very fortunate because the people that listen to my recordings are very intelligent very kind and it's loyal to got quite a loyal audience as well very generous so you're a good bunch of people and I do I do feel grateful for that so you know please only listen when you can safely close your eyes it's a real long version of saying just you know Can you imagine someone... T- oh, you could take me to court. I was driving my car and uh, I fell asleep listening to this this bloke, this man on a, on, a, on a podcast. What was the name of the podcast? Um, <laughs> Let me bore you to sleep. Case dismissed. You know what I mean? It's like, come on, Really? I don't think any of my podcasts really give the I suppose some of the ones that aren't that popular um, I mean there's a few that aren't very popular that probably no one's listening to so I haven't got to be worried about and there's one that says uh, keep your eyes open all you like it doesn't matter sleep session uh, podcast is that one and um, is the other one um, 
yeah, this is really safe to drive with. This hypnosis sleep recording, really safe to drive with. You should you should definitely try listening to this. That podcast is uh, doesn't get many listeners. Other ones. <laughs> I'm making it up again. So I feel quite good today. Good, not as a good person, but felt quite well. And and I, I do again. I went to sleep for about half past two till five. Actually, it was more nearly three, about three o'clock till about five. And I just fancied, <laughs> I just fancied a lie down. Uh, there's no nothing funny about it. I don't know why I'm la- I'm giggling about the idea of lying down. But I just, yeah. And I've not been. I've not been up all night. I've been asleep during the night and awake during the day. And I think part of the reason for that is... uh, I've got no idea why. (laughs) I don't. It happens every now and then where my sleep pattern completely reverses. And... But I think I'm getting to the point where it's it's time to sort of start sleeping during the during the night time, and also now that I know that the soundproofing of my bedroom shed into a recording studio, now that I know the soundproofing's underway and I've started doing it. I've only got two strips up so far, but I've got another tw- uh, 21 coming uh, that are on the way. Um, to Rachel, thank you Rachel, hi Rachel, has sent me one strip. It's not got here yet, but it's, it's on the way. She went to my uh, wish list on Amazon. And they're five, what are they, five pound? What are they, five pound sixty something each, I think. But once I put those 20 in there, or 21, on the inside, I should start be able to, should be able to start using uh, the shed to make recordings in. It won't be perfect, you know, still a lot of work to do, but it'll be a start. Once I've got another 50 or 100 slips, you know, once it's completely done, it'll be like really cool. It'll be, yeah, be so soundproofed. The most soundproofed thing in the whole soundproofed world. It will be. In fact, it'll be so soundproofed I won't even be able to hear myself when I'm doing a podcast. (laughs) You won't be able to hear me. (laughs) That's how soundproof it's going to be. 
I know the test. I know the test because if I can't hear anything outside, if I can't hear the radiators that are in my bedroom clicking away, then I know that it's a good test. And if I can't hear the noise, well, I've only got noisy neighbours, I've got neighbours that are sometimes noisy. That's more of a fair description because generally, especially this time of year, it's all right. But um, was it like last year? We had had one of the neighbours not right in my but near where I live. They were having bonfires daily, basically every evening, a bonfire, and they were, uh, they were breaking pallets up all day. So banging, bang, bang, bang. Bearing in mind, I sleep. You know, I'm asleep during the day and then burning it at night. And I actually had deliveries of pallets <laughs> in the garden. So I don't know what that was about. And I guess, to be fair, it's just pretty fun. I do like bonfires, actually. Um I suppose I'd be more in. Yeah, I do. It don't half stink though, because uh, when I was in, when I had the, lived in a Buddhist community, we had. It was uh, it was a fair sized garden, but it was on two levels, and it was just messy. But there was this big space that we used to have bonfires, and we used to chuck stuff out there. Um, like flammable stuff pretty much all year round so that when it came to having a bonfire it was all ready and so any like spare bits of wood and stuff like that we'd all just put it on there and then I think like a couple of times a year we'd have a party and you know drugs, prostitutes general Buddhist stuff you know and uh, no cups of tea and gossip <laughs> uh, and I didn't notice it at the time but I'll be sitting out there with this bonfire it's very hypnotic isn't it very hypnotic um, that's the thing I think fire Fire is very hypnotic unless it's in your kitchen or your bathroom or your bedroom. It's not hypnotic then. But on a bonfire in a safe environment or in a fireplace. Who has fireplaces anymore? Does anybody? Do you have, do you have a fireplace? It's very hypnotic just to sort of look into the flames of a fire dancing around doing a little boogie woogie little ballet little you know I was going to say kickboxing but that's not right a little beatbox I don't know what is it um What was that street dancing movie called? The really, 
really famous one. Um, I can't remember. Anyway, what I noticed is I get upstairs and my clothes absolutely stunk of smoke of the bonfire absolutely stunk oh, when I first moved in here there was this bloke this man he's, he's moved out now and he constantly had bonfires but the neighbours would complain about him and he had them I don't know how what I don't know how he managed to make them so smoky but I'd have to close the windows in my flat which is a little bit annoying when you're as lazy as me on the windows all the way to the other side of the room hmm hmm I guess what guess what indeed When was it? Yesterday. Yeah, yeah, it was yesterday. Evening. I had a little knock on the door, looked through my keyhole, window, uh, you know, whatever it's called, peephole. And it's really weird it's called a peephole because when you're a kid a peephole is the keyhole isn't it you know when you're in your in your house you know every door when I was a kid every door had a keyhole didn't have no keys but you could like look through it and see what people were up to anyway um, I it's really weird Spent ages looking through the keel once, thinking nothing happening, no activity, no activity. Kept going back, no activity. Kept going back, looked through the door, went through the keel, nothing, nothing. So when I was a kid, like, uh. then it dawned on me it's my bedroom. There's no one in there. Why, you know, so it's. We live and learn, don't we? Live and learn. Anyway, I got a knock on the door. Rat a tat tat. Ding dong. And um, I don't know why she was saying ding dong. There's no alarm. And she said, uh, and I knocked on the door. And I, I didn't knock on the door. <laughs> that would have been weird, wouldn't it? Can you imagine knock on the delivery, you knock on the door, and someone else knocks on the door back? <laughs> Who's there? What do you mean? Who's who? Who's there? Who who are you? Who are you? And I looked through, and there was this tiny little female. And I thought, oh, okay. I wasn't really sure who that was, but then I saw they were holding a package, a massive package. That's how I realised she was little, because when I actually opened the door, it wasn't a massive package at all. But you know anyway I opened the door actually it wasn't 
I looked, it was actually, she was huge, but the package was massive. No, neither of those are true. I opened the door, and uh, she said something I couldn't really understand, but uh, I saw that she had a package, and it was from Amazon and stuff. I said, thank you, happy new year. So I talk, and I knew what it was straight away, because... I'd ordered it, you know. <laughs> uh, it was a. Oh, I can't read it to you what it's called. Oh, yes, I can. Yes, I can. Are you ready for this? Just realised I've got the little leaflet. I'll take my glasses off because I can't read it otherwise. Almost feel like I've got really good eyesight when I say that. Just gonna have to take my eyeglasses off. My eyeglasses? I'm gonna have to take my glasses off. My face glasses. Well, technically, you can't have my nose glasses because they, they rest on my nose. But yeah, I've got to take them off so I can read because my eyesight's so damn good that I can't see them with these glasses on. I need to, I need to be naked in order to see them. Uh, Finally, that was true for when buses were arriving. A couple of times I've gone out without my glasses, forgotten. I had to ask pensioners what the number of the buses as it was arriving, as it was pulling up. Because I couldn't see, literally could not see what, and they said, well, it's in 93, isn't it? Were you blind? Like, well, I'm not blind, but I do have visual, bit of a visual issue. Cheeky little monkey, you. So what I got is this. It's a, a Kokik Kosak Kosik Cock Sick Coxic orthopedic seat cushion yep and basically because of my lower back before you start going we've all got lower backs you know you're not the only one no I know that well why do you keep saying my lower back because I'm not talking about your lower back that's why and those that have listened to anything I've ever said my moaning I've got lower back issues and the main thing about this is it did say in the advert online that although it's it's same to relieving the direct pressure onto your tailbone so although mine's more left side back it's for lower back basically anyone with a lower back issue and the benefits of this it boosts your height for good posture which it really does I couldn't believe it because um Sitting in a chair, which is the best best way to sit really, 
I sat sitting in a chair now. I've moved the chairs around. I'm currently sitting in the chair that's going to be in my my bedroom shed when I can start using the the you know start using it for making recordings. But at the moment, it's in here. And my friend gave it to me. It's a nice chair. The thing is, it's not really comfortable. Like for, it's comfortable, but for watching telly and stuff like that, it's I can't like lay my head back or anything like that because the back only comes up to my back. The back goes up to the middle of my back. But before, I used to be able to have part of the window curtains closed and the other part open with the light on. And the people opposite me wouldn't be able to see me because the chair was low down. I only realised today, as I was sitting here, because the chair raises me up by quite a few inches. And the windows at the right height, so they can see right in here. I can't see them, but I guess with the light on, they can see in here. Especially with a nice, good, you know, half decent telescope. And I realised I can't pick my nose anymore. So I had this this big hole. I had a moral issue very complicated life life issue to deal with like what do I do do I stop picking my nose or do I close the curtains and as I said the curtains are the windows it's the other side of the room my nose is closer I was like so I didn't know my nose is closer doesn't actually make sense does it but yeah so what benefits are this seat cushion offering it's a heck of a lot Um, first thing I noticed is because it's got like a gel thing inside it's a well gel and for the first time I feel both the right buttock and the left buttock are kind of even or balanced and there's no pressure I don't feel any pressure on my on my lower back at all now I'm starting to think as far as coccyx go I damaged my coccyx when I was about 16 I don't know if it's kind of coming back to haunt me a little bit but isn't a coccyx that's just basically your tailbone isn't it you know when we used to have tails sticking out of our bums and mind you Sometimes I think I'm getting a tail growing back. Sometimes it gets so hairy. <laughs> Ooh. And 
we'll move on. So the ooh. So maybe that's you know what happened is because I used to work in a chip shop when I was sixteen, well fifteen actually, and I was there for two years. So from the April to the March, so from April nineteen eighty six to March nineteen eighty seven. So I was nineteen eighty seven. Yeah, I was still 16. No. Yeah. So March 87. 15, 16. I'm confused. No, 88, not 87. 88. So March 88. So I was 17. So that doesn't make sense. I can only be 15 and be there two years and then be 16. Even with my vast mathematical brain knowledge. That didn't make a sense. So yeah, I went to... Yeah, I was there from April 1986 when I was 15... And March 1988, I left when I was 17. And then I got a job in... I got a job in a supermarket. But it was only a small supermarket, which is a shame. Because I think I'd have been better off in a big supermarket. With a bit more space and a bit more... I don't know, it just would have been probably more fun than... Because there'd be more staff instead of there just being... Like four members of staff. It would have been probably like 40 or something. Or 25 or maybe 36. I, I don't know. Anyway. So I was there. That's, that's what I did. And... When I was part of my job was well, I just kind of did lots of different things, but it was to be moving stuff around. We used to have these big bags of potatoes that were bigger than me, you know, probably heavier than me, probably not, but probably not a lot in it, you know, to be fair. So I used to be carrying them around. I remember once I slipped over with this big sack of potatoes. When I say big sack of potatoes, I'm not talking about the little bags you get in in the supermarket. I'm talking about a big... uh, You put it on the floor, it's pretty much up to my chest. You know, big, heavy bag. And I slipped over and this bag and I basically banged me coccyx my back on I landed on my back but the bag of potatoes of weight landed on top of me as well Um, and I couldn't walk 
but I had no choice but to walk. Um, obviously, I could walk, otherwise I wouldn't be able to walk. But um, in any other situation now, in like real life, I would have gone to hospital with that. And I don't think they can do much other than just sort of, I don't know, maybe a back brace or something. But I didn't get any help. I just carried on regardless. And I was just in agony for ages with it. But like a lot of people just, just carried on, didn't, you know. So I think I might have cracked it or done something. And I don't think I went to the doctors. Pretty sure I didn't. Um, luckily I lived upstairs so I didn't have a long way to travel to walk to, to work and but I was on my feet most of the day but oh god so I don't know if it's that's come to haunt me but <laughs> haunt me guys dramatic isn't it ultimately I just think it's just just a back you know I think maybe it's because I'm so damn tall. I mean, being seven foot four, I guess it's bound to put a little bit of, maybe put extra pressure on me, on my back. And also, um, like back issues do sometimes happen to, uh, to ex-Olympic Athletes, you know, when they get older, and you know, being the thing is, look at all those gold medals that I won in the Olympics. It does, it feels nice, but you know, I still quite like my back to feel a bit better. But you know, sometimes just looking at the all the gold rec, you know, all the gold medals, uh, not just from the Olympics, but you know, from the world games and and all the other things and it kind of does take the edge off a little bit so it's quite nice you know sometimes I'll just be there and I'll be cleaning the gold medals with some brasso <laughs> I, like, I, like, I don't know why I like the name brasso Reminds me a bit when I was in the Sea Cadets. Used to have these. What parts of the body were gold? Not gold, gold, but they were. It's brass. Was it silver or was it gold? I don't know. But we had these belts that were part of the uh, makeup, the part of the costume, the Sea Cadets costume. And. So there's two types of costume that we had. We had, I don't know what they were called. They weren't called civvies, because civvies is for civvy street, isn't it? But they might have been called civvies, but they were more, there was one for combat. I suppose that would be the one. And one for, um, I don't know. Halloween uh, not Halloween one for like a party kind of a a celebration um, 
something like D-Day or D-E-Day or B-E-Day or B-O-Day or whatever the various different days there are in the military calendar. So Trafalgar Day, that's another one. That's, that's quite a big one for the Navy. So every year Trafalgar Day, we'd all get up and get onto a coach and end up, I think, in London or somewhere. Other, da- other things was the the annual fate. Uh, we used to march in that as well, which was fun, actually. That was fun. Because I didn't always have to march. I must have been in the Sea Cadets for a few years. I must have been, mustn't I? I feel I joined... I think I wasn't allowed to join until I was 12, but I joined when I was 11. And I probably left when I was 14. Yeah, probably, or 13, 14, something like that. So I was there for a good, like, two or three years. And I probably mentioned this before. But there's this, um, they've got a grading system, which means that you get graded, you get, you know, you get, it's kind of like a promotion, and I think Junior Seaman was the first one, I'm pretty sure Able Seaman was the like one of the tops and you get badges and you get stripes on your shoulders and stuff like that now it took me I think three years to get the junior seaman badge and I think I still hold the record probably today for the child that took the longest amount of time to get the first badge, the first, you know, the first stripe of junior seaman. I'm not even joking now, I think I hold the record because usually people get it within about two months, three months. You know, when the next bunch of gradings come round. And it's, I suppose, a little bit like karate in the sense of... No, but this... Yeah, just like it comes round, the grading comes round every every two or three months, and then you know. So there's probably three opportunities a year. Four, no, four opportunities a year. And those people that started at the same time as me, other kids that started at the same time as me, and. By the time I got my junior seaman badge, my first stripe, they actually already done a tour in the Navy. They were coming back, they'd done their six years in the Navy. They were veterans. It's like, wow. I remember one saying, Yeah, I've been to I've been to Kuwait and I was going on about what we'd done. I said, Yeah, yeah, but I learned how to do a, 
all my knots and I've got my first junior seaman badge and I learned how to clean my shoes uh -huh. so yeah and it was a it was preparation uh, for joining the Navy that's what the sea cadets is the air cadets preparation for joining the RAF Royal Air Force the army cadets the army preparation for that see my brother was in the army no was he one of my brothers was in one of the other ones either the army I think it was in the army cadets oh, I forget yeah. either that or the RAF cadets but it was preparation and quite a few kids did go on to join the forces that was in the, the Navy the, the Sea Cadets because they'd come out uh, on leave or maybe when they got out they did their six years or three years or whatever they'd come out and they would come and train the Sea Cadets they'd be part of it because they were in the Sea Cadets when they were kids so I knew a few a couple of people that went into the into the Navy and also a few that went into the Army or at least one yeah Douglas went into the Army and what other ones I think a lot of it was about discipline if you break down the word discipline disciple any is a disciple any disciple in that's what discipline stands that's what it, that's why it spells discipline it's supposed to be like for like you know um, being controlled being tempered being able to do things when you don't feel like doing them you know disciple hmm don't know if I want to be anyone's disciple so that would be more like doing something for one particular person because people don't share disciples you know when I talk about disciples, I'm talking about. Oh God, I've read I read something the other day about um, a particular leader of disciples back in the seventies or whatever. I was like, wow, wow. <laughs> I sometimes think I, I kind of wish I'd joined the army when I was going to back in night when I was 16 I should have joined I should have just joined and 
I like to think I could have just got my brain back afterwards. So just, you know, joined and gone along with all the um, brainwashing that they do. And I perhaps left my brain with my gran, with my nan, just, I'll leave my kindness with you. My, my sensitivity, I'm going to leave that with you, nanny. And then I'll come and collect that when I've done my, when I've done enough time in the Navy or the Army, rather, to have a pension. So I'll go in for 16 years and then have a pension, then I can come out and then I'll do some hypnosis. I don't know how many years you've got to do to get the pension. I don't know. Yeah, it's uh, outside of that, I'm not suited for that kind of work because I'm too soft, really. I think that's that's kind of the the bottom line. I'm too darn soft. Yeah. Yeah, so, but I kind of feel I might have missed an opportunity because it might have been real fun. I mean, at the time, I didn't know about what was going to be coming up. So, because at that time, 1986, as far as I remember, there wasn't a lot going on as far as what. England was involved in there's always lots going on in the world I know but so if I'd have joined in 1986 and then 1991 the old Kuwait thing happened so I'd have been sent out there probably And then Rwanda, then Croatia, or, you know, various different things. So, yeah, I'd have been, I'd been out and about. I don't know. I'd nah, there's no point regretting, is there? But I just think anything would have been better than working in a, not working in a chip shop, nothing wrong with that, but just for me... I think it's the best a part-time job unless you love it if you love it or if you own it if you own it it's a little gold mine it can be or if you're getting really really good wages but I wasn't so I'd have probably been okay if there was a minimum wage back then so if I was getting 15 grand a year, even in this situation, I could get by. No, I wouldn't have got 15 grand a year then because there wasn't, it wouldn't have been eight pound an hour or seven pound an hour, whatever it is, minimum wage. But 
didn't realise, no one told me at the time, that no one sort of sat me down and said, listen, Juicy JJ, you're 15 or you're 16, depending on how old I was when they sat me down. You can do anything. You can do anything you want. No one, no one said that to me. I wish they had. They said, you don't have to spend all day covered in grease and stinking of fish and all kinds of stuff like that and not having any, any food, not having enough money to actually buy yourself food. You don't have to live like that. It's, this is not... No one, no one opened the options for me. No one told me there was other, any other options. And although I remember once, because I was in on the YTS youth training scheme, again the idea of the youth training scheme was to train people up to have qualifications that they could use it was more for people that perhaps weren't either weren't or didn't want to do an academic course I would have fitted in the into both of those categories I was not and would not do an academic course so the YTS was basically taking it was replacing the apprentice scheme that used to be around when my dad was my age, you know, that age, leaving school. So what you did back in his age, his day, is you would work for, for example, a plumber or electrician or a candlestick maker, whatever, it doesn't matter, just whatever the trade was, uh, mechanic, joiner, um, welder, you know, just it's, you know, these are like practical jobs that once you were trained, well paid work, valued work, work that was respected because it was, uh, it wasn't easy work to do. You have to learn the trade, and it was very, you know. I kind of didn't go down that route because that's my own choice. I chose to do what I did. I was pushed into making a decision and I made the wrong decision. But I was pushed into making decisions and I didn't, I still don't know how to make decisions very well sometimes. And I. What did I do? I. So basically, that's what this apprenticeship was for. But they, they renamed it the YTS. Youth Training Scheme. And that was to stop people being unemployed. In fact, I wasn't allowed to be unemployed. Now, because they'd, they'd have put me, forced me onto one of those things. 
because you could get unemployment at six. No, or did you have to? I don't know what the rules were, but I know that I don't think kids can get unemployment until they're eighteen now, or younger people can't. Things have changed. I can't remember. But anyway, what happened? What happened is during that time, a lot of unscoop is it unscrupulous about a lot of uh, a lot of people took advantage of the scheme. So you know. Instead of tradesmen or women taking on apprentices under the youth inquiry um, YTS scheme, and then giving them a job at the end of it, uh, some would, the same people that would have done under the old apprentice scheme. But some would just have them for a year or two, and then just say, "No, nah, got no, got no work for you." So get they used it for cheap labour. Now that's not all. Obviously, there's loads that didn't do that, and the people that were less likely to do it was the actual proper tradespeople. You know, professionals. The people that did do it was people that had restaurants and pubs and retail shop, you know, shops and chip shops. None of those are trades. They're jobs, but they're not trades. You know, this experience but when I left the chip shop I could work in another chip shop if you go by the trade of um, preparing the chips, the fish, the frying all that stuff those skills were you know I did know what I was doing and I got taught very well and, and I did it for two years so I knew what I was doing I knew I don't know if I knew what I was doing but I, I could do it and but it wasn't a trade it wasn't something that was going to set me up for life like in my dad's day you know if, if you become an electrician qualified electrician you're set f- as long as you like doing that work and you're prepared to do it you're set for life. Well, you used to be, and I think you still are, to be fair, depending on where you live. Because I know some people might live in a place where the particular trade they are into isn't wanted or needed in that area. So, I'm trying to think of an example, but uh, not what is it uh, furniture polisher now that's a trade 
and fine, you know, polishing tables. Not not like with like spraying spraying some wax on the table and just you know dusting it. I mean, proper, you know. I forget what they're called, but they're it's a, it's an art, isn't it? It's a proper trade. Now that might not be useful in some places, or piano tuning, another trade, a very um, specific trade though, and something it takes years to learn to do, or building a piano, building a musical instrument, that's a trade, yet yeah, might not be Required, perhaps in in the town that the person lives, perhaps no one wants to buy them. Although now with the internet, I think if anyone's any good at something, that can be made and sent in the post. Then there's a chance they could earn a living, a good living. So if they make a, if they make ukuleles or guitars or if they make the best guitars, I know someone, I haven't seen him for ages, but he's, his trade is making musical instruments, wooden ones, or stringed instruments, that is, you know, and that's his trade, that's what he's done all his life, and he had an apprentice and apprenticeship, and he's, he's old enough to have done the apprenticeship, so before they did the YTS, So basically the YTS was just cheap labour for a lot of people. And I'll give you an example of the difference. Because when I was working, I started working before the uh, YTS started. So I started working in April 1986 when I was 15. And I started, I think I started part time to start with. And then I went full-time. So I was part-time for maybe a couple of weeks. Um, in fact, I'm not even sure if I... I might have just gone straight full-time. I can't remember. But I didn't start the YTS until September. So I had like, what? April or May, June, July, August. Yeah, so I had about four months of getting paid money, like an hourly rate. And I was getting £60 a week, which is a heck of a lot of money for a 15-year-old back in 1986. And, well, it was for me. I'd never had that amount of money before. And I'd worked lots of different part-time jobs, but £60 cash in my hand was like, wow. I don't know what the equivalent would be now, but, um, so I had that for about four months. In that time, though, it was quite weird, because the only reason I got that job is because my dad, I was 
just coming to the point where I was leaving school. It was like that, I think it was that week. And my dad caught me in the garden because I was hiding. And uh, he said, what are you going to do? I said, what? What do you mean? He said, were you leaving school? I didn't have the option of going on to do <laughs> A-levels. It was uh, it was kind of not offered to me. <laughs> and he said, what, what are you going to do? I said, university. And then when we, when we both got up off the floor, because we were laughing for about an hour, when we both got up, he said, no, seriously though, son, what, what are you going to do? I said... I don't know. He said, we've got to do something. And I feel, for the first time, I'd never felt pressured before to get a job. I'd always had part-time jobs before, and that was my own choice. I'd never... I didn't, hadn't even thought about what was going to happen when I left school. Because I was just living at home with my family and... Uh, I think at that time most of us were still there I think and so I thought I'll show him and I got and got that job in the chip shop uh, later on a few years later my dad said oh, I thought it was just temporary but it didn't, you know it's like I only did it, I only got it, so I could just say to him, ah, I've got a job, nah, 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 nah. And it's quite weird, I must have, yeah, no one seemed very impressed with my job. Couldn't really understand it. Anyway, I, I remember the, well, I don't remember the interview I had, but I remember walking into the shop with my friend Dean, and I said, uh, give us a job. You got a job I can have? And he said, Oh, all right, uh, well, come and see me at whatever time, three o'clock or something. I said, All right. Went and saw him, and he said, Yeah. They just let you know, nothing they, I don't know if they told me straight away or they might have done, him and his wife, and they said, Um, in September you're going to be on the YTS scheme which means you'll be getting £27 a week was it £27.30 in the first year and in the second year you'll get £35 and but in the meantime you'll get paid full time and all I was focusing on was two things first this will show my dad. And secondly, I'm getting paid. And that was, that excited me. So, it was quite weird because when I started the job, everything was kind of, well, I thought it was kind of okay. And, I'm not sure if I was even going to stay there. I think for me it was just... 
nothing. I mean, you know, September, we're talking April. Thinking about what's happening in September. I mean, they could have said, uh, oh, is it okay if we give you cat food pie in September? So, yeah, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, so you can have cat food pie. You eat it, you'll eat it, will you? Yeah, yeah, I don't, yeah. I don't care what happens in September, it's April. And I probably wasn't planning to stay there. Part of me thought, I think, if I was good, then they'll just keep me on. Like proper, you know. But that didn't that didn't happen. But uh, they made me, a, they insisted I did the YTS. It's almost like they wanted cheap labour. <laughs> That's a weird one. And I'm sure that wasn't the case. And the... To be fair, though, they kind of ended up sort of being my family. So regardless of the crappy money and everything, you know, there was a point where I didn't have hardly any contact with anybody. Because the old parents, you know, the family fell up, what kind of broke up and everything. And, yeah, it was weird. I tell you what though to go from 60 pound down to 27 pound oh that was a culture shock that was a weird one that was and Andre just come out to do a poo bless him first thing I did when I actually got my first week's wages was because in them days and for quite a few years afterwards wages used to be in a little brown envelope cash with a little pay slip but cash written out in pen would be you know unless maybe if you worked for a big company maybe it would be printed I don't know but used to be like how much it is how much tax I didn't get taxed I was 15 and uh, but the 60 pounds like whoa so the first thing I did was I went and bought bought a sword samurai sword from um, this it was down near the, near the seafront, near the video shop. It was... They had weaponry. Uh, it was kind of like a, an antique store. But a lot of weapons and stuff like that. And armour and a few tanks. Coloured jet, jet planes. Um, There's a penguin in the corner for some reason. Yeah, I got this samurai. I'd had my eye on it for a while. And I thought, hmm. And I always wanted to get myself a sword. I said always, but for the last three years or so, from the age of like 13, maybe 14. 13, yeah. Ever since I've been doing the karate. And I got this sword, like, yay, baby. It was heavy heavier than my leg 
I guess I've never lifted my leg not really it's always been attached so I kind of don't know how heavy it is but this proper this sword was my pride and joy it had a scabbard and um, it's not a scab scab ard and it's black a beautiful handle I mean, it's probably just a replica I'm sure it wasn't an original uh, one from Samurai Land but I loved it I loved it a lot and I kept it for years kept it for years and eventually I sold it like I did nearly most things probably needed some bread and butter so I got rid of it how <laughs> dramatic I needed to get myself uh, some uh, uh, some bread and some cheese yes and I treated myself to uh, to a tea bag yes a tea bag so I had to sell all my belongings for such things <laughs> I don't know how I got onto the subject of yeah. I have no idea. I think I talked about maybe going into the army when I was fifteen, sixteen. Yeah, sixteen. This bloke in in the the army place. So I went in there, and it was in the next town, and I wasn't old enough to join yet. I was fifteen, and he said, "Well, come back when you're sixteen." And then I sort of, I kind of became friends with him because I was going in there and just saying hello to him when I was in town. Because and uh, he'd say, "Yeah, you're right, yeah." And then I was sort of saying, "No, I'm not sure if I want to join." He said, well, "Come on, it'll be fun." I said, "I'm not sure." He said, "Oh, go on." I said, "No, all right then." So I had the. I did the physical, which was there, you know, they, and I was in perfect health. Um, and then I did the, well, the physical, medical, whatever it is, you know, just to check that everything's fine. Had to do the exercises, press ups, sit ups, and all that stuff to make sure I was okay with that, which I was. And then they gave me the written test which I which I passed so the written test must have been very easy and he he said and even I think about it now I was like oh I feel a little bit of excitement I should have done it it would have been I don't know it would have been uh, an adventure and he, he said, oh, that's it, good, you've passed everything. So now you just need to go to the weekend training. Uh, that's the next step, weekend training. And we need to test your physical you know, health, your stamina, um, and check that you can, that you're capable of, you know, passing the tests at the weekend. Then plus also you get a chance to see what it's like to be in th that environment 
you know, for a couple of days and see how you get on with other people and stuff. And he said, if if you pass that, then you'll be going away on your six week training. So basically, I'll be enrolled in the army uh, as soon as I pass the weekend. And then you get enrolled. That's back then. You enrolled. And I think during that six weeks, you have an opportunity to leave or for them to kick you out. You know, well, I've always, always got an opportunity to kick you out. But I think, I think during the six weeks training, it's, I think there was a little bit of flexibility. I think. But I never got that far. I I chickened out of the weekend. I had it. I had it booked. Had it planned. You know, I was supposed to go along. Um, I was supposed to turn up and get the coach there. Um, in fact, I think the the, the man was actually going to drive me up there. And he, the man, he was a sergeant. He was like uh, in charge of the recruitment office. So he's probably going to drive me and a few other kids up there. And I ended up not turning up. Just didn't turn up, didn't show up. And I actually thought that the army were going to come and I thought I was going to get into trouble. I did. I actually thought, oh, I hid. And... um, Yeah, the the army man afterwards told me, no, you're not, you're not committed to going. It's your choice at this point. Once you sign on a dotted line, once you join, then you can't just leave and do what you want. But, you know, at this point, you're fine. And I was like, oh, oh, oh. I st- I like, oh, someone tickle my tummy. I'm so happy. So yeah, that's another little memory shared. Another little memory shared. So I'm going to go. Thank you for listening to my boring stories, and I'll speak to you soon. Remember, remember to be kind to yourself, because, 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 because. You deserve, you deserve to be happy, 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 lots of love, 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 bye, bye, bye.